Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. What a fun day it is for us around here because I am like so many of you, not all of you, but at least a lot of you, we're Georgia fans and we're Braves fans. And boy, last night, one of the all-time thrilling Braves wins, and I realize what I'm saying when I say that, but how could you deny that what Atlanta did getting up off the deck in a 4 nothing deficit to win that game will be one of those memories we take with us forever. If you're of a certain age, it's almost like a combination of the Sid Slid game and the 92 NLCS game seven and the Otis Nixon catch game. And, you know, I'm in a stage of life now where I can remember looking back as a young child and cheering for the Braves back then, now to be cheering with them with my son, who is of a similar age now to what I was when these moments were happening long ago it's like whoa that's a that's a that's a lot to consider about life uh sometimes sports you know forces you to think about that but big smiles on our face this morning because of what we saw but obviously this is a georgia football show and that is what we're going to talk about here and what a fun way to kind of keep all that going we're calling it brocktober right now because we believe this month brock bowers the georgia tight end making a big case for himself to possibly win the heisman trophy but what if I told you the impact that Bowers can make on this Georgia offense, the full effect of all of that, the full impact of all of that hasn't quite even been felt yet. I want to kind of go through it this way here for a moment. There are a couple of really interesting comparisons out there uh, for Brock Bowers here right now. I know Saturday night after the game, uh, Kendall Milton uh, said he's kind of our version of LeBron James, which is kind of a cool you know, thing to hear. The Bowers sort of the LeBron James of this Georgia football team. But once again, for those of us who are of a certain age, the biggest and best compliment is not to compare Brock Bowers to LeBron James, but to compare him to the one true GOAT, Michael Jordan, greatest of all time. And on this show, we obviously respect our history. We understand that Michael Jordan and not LeBron James the all-time greatest player I'm sure Kendall Milton perhaps has his own opinion on that but around here we get it right we know Jordan is the true go so with that in mind it's also interesting to note the ways in which a lot of people lately seem to be want to make the comparison between Michael Jordan and Brock Bowers and for those of us once again who kind of grew up loving Michael Jordan to think that Georgia's got a football player right now being compared to MJ I think that's a really cool thing let me show you this uh Mike Griffith had this in a story at a dognation.com uh Mark Stoops now we're going to get later on to some some very dumb things that Mark Stoops has said but this right here not dumb comparing uh, uh Bowers to Jordan says it is kind of like going up against Michael Jordan or someone like that you know they're going to get theirs that's what Mark Stoops said going into last week's game that proved true even with Kentucky we would think trying to set up and stop Bowers they were still unable to do that Georgia creatively found a way to feed him Bowers obviously more than equal to the task of making good things happen when he gets a chance to touch the football and it doesn't seem at least in terms of his on-field impact at the moment no historic cultural impact I guess we'll have to wait and see but in terms of his on-field impact at the moment doesn't seem all that crazy to say yeah right now he's playing at kind of an MJ level here at the uh in the world of college football I, I think that's probably fair someone else who's also said that recently as well ironically I guess enough as it is the former Georgia tight end Ben Watson who is now an analyst on the SEC network speaking of uh, Mike Griffith he joined Mike on an edition of Mike show uh, which is called on the beat uh, going back a couple of weeks ago and at that time Watson also made the comparison between Brock Bowers and Michael Jordan let me let you hear this from Watson it is certainly very interesting from a guy who knows this program and this position very well this is what Ben Watson said about that Brock Bowers is the Michael Jordan I mean, a guy who could do everything, play, you know, Jordan could play defense, play offense. He could dunk, he could shoot the jumper. He could motivate you like he could do everything. And when I watch Brock Bowers, I really believe he's the most complete player at any position for for a position player. He, he does his position the best out of out of anybody. So obviously, I love all of this as someone who's, you know, touted Bowers for as long as we have around here and making a big deal about Brocktober. You know, the idea that these different type of voices coaching the sec stoops analysts on the sec network watson the former dog the fact that everybody's kind of comparing brock bowers to michael jordan right now of course around here we really like that but 
The point I want to get to is, is beyond just the, can you believe that Georgia's got a player being compared to Michael Jordan? The point I want to get to is actually beyond that. I think that if Brock Bowers really is going to be a Jordan-level figure the remainder of this season for UGA, then the Jordan-like aspects of Bowers perhaps are just beginning. And the true best impact, the highest value that Bowers can still bring to this Georgia offense, perhaps we are yet to have seen that, and perhaps in the coming weeks we will see that. Let's talk about our basketball history for a moment. What is the thing that Jordan was kind of famous for in addition to all of his greatness? He was also famous over the course of those two different three-peats, which, by the way, Georgia also seeking to go for three and 23 this year there as well. Jordan was famous for playing alongside Scottie Pippen. The idea that there's sort of a Jordan-Pippen tandem that really good basketball teams have aspired to have – ever since then that's just kind of part of basketball canon that your michael jordan's here you got your scotty pippen level player here and that's how you build a great basketball organization with that tremendous one-two punch that's been a part of every seemingly great nba team since then the idea that somebody plays the jordan role and somebody kind of plays that secondary scotty pippen role that's just what it is so if we're going to take this very seriously for a moment the idea that mark stoops and ben watson both say oh my gosh right now brock bowers is just playing like michael jordan then it becomes fair to ask well if that be the case who is who is bowers scotty pippen going to be who is bowers kind of secondary piece going to be and the way in which the georgia still feeds brock bowers even when defenses are keying to stop that is that creating an opportunity for somebody else to step up into a Scottie Pippen-type role? Because if you'll remember this, going back to the Auburn game a couple of weeks ago, we said the identity of Georgia offensively at the time was they need one individual player more so than they had ever needed any one player in either the last two national championship seasons. In 2021 and 2022, Georgia was very content to be an ensemble-type cast. You had multiple offensive guys making big impacts. Obviously, the defense was kind of built the same way. And almost no one player stood out over any of the other, even though there were so many first-round picks and eventually Stetson Bennett in 2022 became a Heisman finalist. The truth is, is there were so many guys collecting accolades that nobody stood head and shoulders above everybody else. Well, when Georgia was struggling against Auburn, when it needed its own come-from-behind win, much the same way the Braves got theirs last night, when that all took place it sort of seemed like Georgia really needed one guy to kind of put the team on its shoulders and lead the team and at the time Brock Bowers is capable of doing that but all of a sudden now let's just be honest after what Georgia did to a Kentucky on Saturday night suddenly Georgia feels a little bit different than they felt for the season's first five games and the way in which they feel different is perhaps a little bit more in line with what we've seen from this team dominant on both sides of the ball in the 2021 and 2022 seasons now you hope that Georgia can maintain that obviously but when you see that take place against Kentucky, you're at least reminded of the possibility that that might be true. And so let's kind of think about the Georgia offense now as more than it was just a couple of weeks ago when it was Bowers kind of leading the way and everybody just sort of at times seemingly standing around hoping he'd make a play. All of a sudden now his continued prowess from a playmaking standpoint creates opportunities for other players, an opportunity for somebody to step up and be the scotty pippen to brock bowers michael jordan as as bowers now multiple times been sort of described as so it seems fair to ask then well who is that player most likely to become bowers version of scotty pippen the sort of secondary piece that plays off of bowers greatness now i think there's potentially a number of candidates here i'm going to say for instance i thought that marcus rosemey jackson had a terrific game for george on saturday came within an eyelash of 100 yards receiving this is a guy who's made big catches over and over and over again for georgia i think rosemey jackson is an incredibly valuable player but this is where kirby smart's own words get kind of interesting here because for as much as we talk about the greatness of of bowers and what bowers is uh capable of doing kirby smart also talked about a different georgia offensive player as being a guy who can also be a tremendous catalyst for this georgia offense it's the guy who got the first touchdown for the dogs on saturday night it's the recent transfer from mississippi state the wide receiver rah rah thomas 
I would suggest, based on what Kirby Smart said after Saturday's game against Kentucky, it could be Thomas. If we're going to say that Bowers is the Michael Jordan for right now, which people have described him as, it could then be rah-rah Thomas, who's perhaps in the potential role of a Scottie Pippen type player playing off of the things that Bowers is doing. And the way in which Kirby described rah-rah after his game against uh, Kentucky, I think bolsters that point even more. Let's take a listen to what Kirby Smart said about rah-rah. Yeah, he, he, he's the biggest guy that can change our offense because we have some guys that can do things. Obviously, Brock is special, and Carson's played well, and, and there's a lot of guys that can do things. But it, it, it loosens your defense up when you've got a, a guy with their decks that can win some one-on-ones. And um, if he comes to life and keeps growing like he's done, he makes us uh, he makes us harder to defend because you know there's a lot of answers you have. It's hard to answer if, if the guy can just go up and catch balls one-on-one. The X is obviously the label of the receiver that rah-rah plays. We typically think of that as kind of a top receiver because oftentimes that guy will line up on the shorter side of the field, a little easier throw for a quarterback, a little easier to make, and therefore you want to try to feed a guy that can do big things with a little bit more of an easier manageable throw, and that's why you know the X has kind of come to have that little bit of extra value. That's what rah-rah is doing right now. But ultimately the phrase that Smart uses that kind of stands out to you there is the idea of rah-rah being, I'm going to try to quote this, the biggest guy who can change our offense. So you want something fun to look at and watch for in the next few weeks, including Vanderbilt on the road on Saturday? Watch how the presence of Bowers and what he does to attract eyeballs on him and bodies towards him as he continues to rack up big plays and big yards and big stats and big everything else. Watch what that also creates for Ra-Ra Thomas and watch the ongoing transformation of this UGA offense that perhaps at its best, it's not just Brock Bowers and everybody standing around watching and waiting for him to make a play. It's Bowers playing at a Heisman-like level or to use the hyperbolic phrases that we've used here today, playing at an MJ-like level with Ra-Ra Thomas in that role of the Scottie Pippen, the guy that plays kind of around what the other superstar is kind of doing. Now, as I said before, I like what Marcus Rosemey Jackson does for this offense. I like what the running backs, such as uh, Dejon Edwards, do for this offense. I potentially like a lot about what other playmakers can do for Georgia. But Smart's words here carry a lot of weight. This is a guy who can change the offense. And right now, Ra-Ra, who's only been here for a few months after having transferred from Mississippi State, seems like Saturday night, the big touchdown, the catches that he's made, it seems like he's on the verge of a coming out party, kind of uh, uh, on, on the verge of a introduction to the rest of the college football type discussion here. And as Georgia makes big plays moving down through the stretch of the season, it seems like Ra-Ra is going to have a chance to, to do a lot of that. That right now, Brock Bowers is the best player in college football. But ultimately, what's really the job of great players? Great players prove their greatness by helping make other players even better. And as defenses focus in on Brock Bowers because you have to, it does create other opportunities for other playmakers. And right now, Ra-Ra Thomas truly has the look of a playmaker. His continued emergence, Kirby Smart says it has the potential to change our offense. And seeing just how much it changes for the better in the coming weeks, that should be a lot of fun for UGA fans to watch. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us, live on video. We start at 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that across all video platforms, radio, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, podcasts, all the podcast platforms there as well. We are just so thankful you tune in and join our show each and every day. We really appreciate that. And we love great sponsors like Engineered Solutions of Georgia who help make it all possible and help deliver this show to you on a daily basis. And I love recommending ESOG to you because I know that Engineered Solutions of Georgia stands as a solutions-based company, as a real source of a solution for one of the most significant problems you may face if you're a homeowner. I'm talking about foundation issues and waterproofing issues. And by now, the signs of this ought to be obvious. When you see cracks where they're not supposed to be, sometimes it's like stair-step cracks, the bricks on the outside of the house, or like those horizontal cracks in the sheetrock on the inside of the house, or when it comes to water stuff, just the evidence of water. It's either like standing water in your basement or residue where water has been, perhaps in your you know, your basement or your crawl space, your garage. You know, sometimes you just sort of see that that moisture kind of creeping in where it's not supposed to be. 
and you know that's the type of thing that you need to have seen about because left unchecked over the course of time it can do incredible damage and kind of create the sort of foundation issues that you want to try to avoid if you possibly can but whatever your situation is as it relates to like foundation or waterproofing type stuff our friends at engineered solutions of georgia they want to be a solution to that problem and if it's a simple fix they are more than happy to tell you that but if it's something that requires a little bit more substantial work all the more reason to have esog on the job because engineered solutions of georgia has an entire team of engineers on staff ready to help you and there's nobody else in our marketplace that puts that kind of resource to work for you when you're facing a foundation or a waterproofing issue. Now, the other good news is, is that ESOG proud partners of UGA. They've supported Georgia for a long time. That means when you support Engineered Solutions of Georgia, you're really kind of supporting a company that's been a great uh, resource of support for the dogs, and they've been longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily. And personally, I have incredible gratitude for those of you who've been good to our sponsors because our sponsors have been so good to us. They've allowed us to do this show for as long as we have, and we're incredibly incredibly grateful for that so it works out for everybody so why don't you give them a call right now the number very easy to remember 678 esog now that's 678 esog now engineered solutions of georgia is the solution for your foundation and your waterproofing issues proud partner of uga athletics all right connor riley coming up here in a moment we'll get the latest from connor on the preparations for vanderbilt on saturday going on the road early start a little bit of talk about the weather, although to me the forecast doesn't look too bad right now, but we'll see what that ends up being. Also, the continued emergence of Brock Bowers and how Georgia can play off of that with the rest of its offense. We'll do all of that with Connor here coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, though, let's get ready to go around the doghouse. And I want to go back to something we made kind of a big deal about last week because it's the kind of statement when Smart makes it that you definitely kind of get caught in your tracks by what what do you say you know that's that there's certain phrases that just carry kind of a lot of weight and on the heels of georgia giving up far more rushing yards to auburn than we're used to seeing that team give up kirby smart who has made his identity as a coach and a lot of his i think identity as a man kind of built around his love for good defense and playing the right way and all that kind of stuff you would imagine He's not happy when he sees his team when he sees his team have some breakdowns like Georgia seemingly had against Auburn going back two Saturdays ago. But in the immediate aftermath of that, even though Smart was more than happy to acknowledge that he was pretty worried at first, he actually struck a pretty hopeful tone about the totality of the performance against Auburn that was ultimately proven true by what happened against Kentucky. Now, this is really interesting. I want to walk through this for a couple of minutes here, kind of the evolution of a thought process here and Smart pushing the right buttons as a coach i find all this to be really really fascinating let me start with kirby smart and the very honest assessment he gave of his initial feelings of the breakdowns against auburn and the realization that perhaps it wasn't quite as bad as it initially appeared this is what smart said going back to last week prior to the game against kentucky well we gotta do a better job i actually felt better after i went and watched the tape i think i was riding home on the bus in, in a state of depression about our the ability to stop the run and you you sometimes as a coach and my dad always said it it's never as good as it seems and it's never as bad as it seems so when i got up and actually watched it we struck blockers and played the run well at times we didn't fit some plays well that they did and give them credit and we probably didn't work some of those plays enough out of the formations they did it they did a nice job scheming that up um so we got to do a better job of that make no mistake about it but we have good run defenders Sometimes we probably think of Kirby as a little bit of a coach speaky style coach, right? You know, a lot of things that he says just sort of feel like they came out of the coach's playbook 101, sort of designed to not really reveal too much, designed not to give too much away. But to me, that particular clip going back to last week, that's sort of the opposite of coach speak. That's really very honest, both in terms of Smart's own state of mind. He says, listen, I was in kind of a state of depression there for a moment but also his evaluation of George on the field that in the midst of a time in which a lot of folks were asking some pretty pointed questions, what's wrong with the Georgia defense? Kirby Smart said, even on the heels of a bad performance, actually, guys, what I'm looking at doesn't really feel like it's as bad and as wrong as maybe I first thought it did, or perhaps some of you still think that it is, that we sort of felt like there were moments in which we actually sort of played it well. That was what Smart said, and as it turns out, that was proven true seemingly by how Georgia played against Kentucky because obviously Ray Davis who had had 280 yards against Florida going back two Saturdays ago he was held under 100 in the game against Georgia on 
Saturday, and for the most part, Georgia held the entire Kentucky rushing attack 12 below 100 yards there as well. And when Smart had a chance to talk about how come Georgia had so much more success against Kentucky than it had had the previous week against Auburn, once again, Kirby kind of called back on what he had said post-state of depression that we actually kind of saw some things we did well in the Auburn game and used that as a building block for how to also play well against Kentucky. Once again, kind of an interesting window into the way in which Smart has chosen to both train up and motivate his team in the games like it played on Saturday. Here is Smart building off the sneaky positive moments from the Auburn game as a way of playing even better against Kentucky. This is what Smart said Saturday night. I don't know if we do anything different, but we have good players. We have good coaches. When you have good players and good coaches, um, you execute at a high level. Uh, Trey Scott and, and, and our defensive staff, they, they believe in striking blockers and playing the run. And, you know, we, we probably haven't played the run as good this year as we could. But it wasn't for lack of trying or lack of tackling. And, and, you know, the first thing we did on Monday after the Auburn games, we showed them 10 clips of unbelievable run defense against Auburn. We had some unbelievable the strikes and blow delivery and getting off blocks and that's what playing run defense is I mean we were really positive with them and showed them doing it right and they they responded to that I mean there's an element of this that smart sort of sounds like a youth league coach right it's like how oh, we're really positive with them you know hey and there's a th- initial thought of hold on is this Kirby did, did did Kirby have his soul replaced by somebody else because this is the guy we sort of expect to see paint peeling off the walls every time he screams and yells and he fires guys up and sometimes that's the club that smart pulls out of his bag obviously we've seen examples of that both on the sideline and you hear tales of that at practice some of you uh you know well-heeled folks have been some of these uh scrimmages and you've seen this in 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 person even that that smart more than happy to get after people when they need to be gotten after but after the auburn game kirby says hey we were actually pretty positive with them we showed them 10 plays uh, where they really did it right now sarcastically i think some georgia fans are wondering gosh i'm surprised you could find 10 plays to show them after auburn where they were doing it really right because it seemed like that game was was going really poor at least to the naked eye you know at first blush but smart was pretty consistent in his line of thought no y'all you can point out this you can point out that but let me show you this 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 and this where we actually did it right and using that as sort of a positive reinforcement apparently that really worked because georgia went out on saturday against kentucky played with a lot more confidence and thusly ultimately end up having a lot more success which sort of leads you to uh yesterday afternoon smart was asked well how come you know you use the positive reinforcement here and then sometimes perhaps you don't use that use something a little bit more pointed a little bit some more aggressive maybe a little bit more in your face style of coaching how do you sort of decide when to be one way and when to be another way and once again this is just kind of an interesting window into the mind of a coach about kind of when to do what in terms of getting the most out of your team uh here's kirby one more time this is yesterday just going with that feeling. I mean, it's where, where are they? How are they practicing? You know, do they buy into what you're believing or do they buy into what you guys are believing? You know, it's like so they, they have to understand the truth is what's on the tape. Um, and the tape says striking blocks, playing well against the run on certain plays, not playing well uh, against the run on certain plays. And some of that's by lack of repetition. We didn't practice it. Uh, some of it's didn't didn't play physical to our standard. and. If you show that you can do it, we're going to show you that you can do it. And uh, that's what we do. We don't don't try to, like, overthink it. We just show them what the truth is. Now, once again, that sort of sounds more like your youth league coach as opposed to, like, the guy in Kirby Smart we have to bleep out 900 times a year because of the stuff that he gets, you know, uh, shared saying to his team from time to time. But it clearly is working for Georgia here right now. Now, I play this for two reasons first of all I just think the whole line of thought there is interesting the consistent idea that Smart really believed his team played better against Auburn than some other people did and that was ultimately seemingly proven true by by how they performed against Kentucky and perhaps the positive reinforcement of of noticing the good from Auburn helped with all of that I think that's kind of cool uh, so on, on the one hand it's just sort of a simple point of hey this is kind of an interesting window into Smart's coaching philosophy but on the other side there's this a lot of Georgia fans are kind of wondering okay well is the version of georgia that we saw saturday night is that going to last is georgia kind of back to throttling teams once again and obviously the 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 future is often difficult to predict but when you hear smart saying it actually wasn't as bad as you think it was in the moments when you thought georgia was playing bad and using that mindset allowed georgia to thrive as much as it did on saturday 
it would suggest to me that at least there's at least a strong possibility that version of Georgia can stick around. And perhaps the first five games were about kind of reaching a boiling point. Now this team has sort of turned that corner, ready to play a little bit more like what we think of Georgia as being. The fact that Smart stayed calm through all of that would perhaps lead you to potentially believe that behind the scenes he likes his team pretty well right now and smart knows what it takes to be successful and so if smart is content and if he's happy that could possibly mean that georgia's on its way to some very good things keep your eye on that and that is around the doghouse here today uh, on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia now before we're done mark stoops has said some i would say interesting stuff uh bulletin board material i don't know if you describe it as that i don't like it but perhaps i dislike it for a different reason than you do we'll get to that before we're done also we got some fascinating matchups in the sec this upcoming weekend and we need to begin our process of talking about those we'll do that today there as well but before that what is next for georgia and what did we learn from georgia in a dominant win against a ranked and undefeated previously kentucky team on saturday night let's talk about all of that right now as we welcome in Connor Riley as Brocktober rolls on here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. It's amazing to me, Connor, how one game can sort of change things. And I, I don't want to do too much too soon with this Georgia team, which is probably still very much a work in progress. But yesterday, Connor, we made a pretty big deal about the fact that Georgia, statistically at least, is sort of back to being what Georgia's been. Top 10 in the country in both points scored per game, points allowed per game, yards per play offensively, yards per play allowed defensively. Being top 10 in all those categories is sort of the thing that's made Georgia, Georgia for the last two years. Them plus Oregon, the only two teams in the top 10 in all four of those categories here right now. All of that kind of propelled because Georgia went out there and just absolutely, you know, dribbled Kentucky like a basketball on Saturday night. So is this the real Georgia? Is Georgia now kind of back to being Georgia again? Is that what Saturday night indicated to you? No, I still saw some things from the defense I didn't necessarily love. Uh, Kentucky got into Georgia territory in each of the first three drives. And penalties really submarine those first two. And then, you know, as great as that 95-yard drive was, it was over, and then DeAndre Walker commits a, a pretty ghastly uh, unnecessary roughness penalty to extend that drive there. And after the third drive of the game, it's 21 nothing, and the game is completely away from a Kentucky team that is just not built to have to play from behind like that. And so on the one hand, you give Georgia credit for making Kentucky pay for its mistakes, but there are still some areas in my mind that this Georgia team can get even better in, in terms of getting up to the level that we've seen in the past couple of years. Uh, Kirby Smart touched on this a little bit yesterday. Uh, this team is just, I, I don't think it's going to ever be great in terms of edge defenders uh, on this team. They have some interesting options. I'd be interested in seeing them trying. But I think it's pretty clear that if you're going to see, if you've seen enough now where teams can find success running to the outside there. Now the big thing if the offense is going to play like it did on Saturday and Carson's going to be that efficient and Carson's going to be allowed to do what he did on Saturday, uh, I think that changes the calculus for this team more than anything. All right, let me do one point on what you said on both sides of the ball, starting with the defense. And, you know, I think in 2021, the identity of this defense was sort of great everywhere, but specifically it was you got these big space-eating defensive linemen, which created tons of opportunity for like the Quay Walkers and the Kobe Deans. Strong up the middle, I really thought that's what Georgia was in 2021 in 2022 I think it shifted a little bit more especially when Jalen Carter was healthy of okay you've got this dominant player which is probably the single most dominant defensive player in this national championship era for Georgia and that kind of became I think the identity of Georgia defensively I, I believe you may nitpick that a little bit but that's kind of my just quick caricature of how I would draw things up this year I thought the further evolution of Georgia defensively was to be what I think of as a little bit more of a traditional defense where you're exciting playmakers do kind of come from your outside edge whether it's defensive end or outside linebacker I thought this was George's best chance to be the most dynamic along that outside edge and so if it really is true that you know some of those guys kind of playing out there whether it's a traditional defensive end or an outside linebacker the McKells or the you know the Marvin Jones Juniors or the you know who whatever name you want to mention if, if these guys aren't going to kind of emerge into like the superstar level player for George the way that I thought they were if that's not going to happen this year 
from a fan standpoint, that's a pretty big disappointment for me because that's really what I was expecting to happen. But we're halfway through the season and it really hasn't happened yet. So it certainly seems like, you know, Kirby Smart, who obviously knows a lot more about this than I do. It seems like he's probably probably correct on that, right? Right. As you touch on there, we're halfway through the season at this point. It's getting harder and harder to say that this is a small sample size that you can write off these games as one offs. You know, we have seen some players get better over the course of the season, and I will I will say with the bye week coming up, I think that's another chance for guys to sort of reset and get a chance to come out and show the improvements that they've made. Uh, Ra Ra Thomas on you know the offensive side, I think, is a classic example of yeah. that. But you know, you kind of look around at this outside linebacker room. I, I don't know how much help is coming there, and while Michael Williams has shown that he could be a brilliant uh, pass rush defender. Uh, you know, he's not quite there yet in terms of being an every down, you know, great run stopper from that defensive end position. And, and so, and that's not surprising. You know, Trayvon Walker wasn't like that when he was a sophomore. Uh, it's important to keep that kind of thing in mind when we're talking about Michael and some of the pressure that has been put on him there. And, you know, the reality is you go look at the outside linebacker hall for the 2020 recruiting cycle, the 2021 recruiting cycle. I think that explains a lot about where this position is right now. And, and while I'm personally interested, maybe you see a Xavier Sori or a Jalen Walker at that spot a little bit more. Uh, the reality is this is just what Georgia has on its defense right now. And, you know, there's no dominant player in that defensive line. I think Kirby has been proven right with that fact, at least in terms of what we saw last year from Jalen Carter in terms of dominant. Right. Uh, the best players on this defense all come from the second and third level. Malachi Sarge, yeah. Asmaa Munden, Kamari Lasseter. And when you're not that disruptive with your front, it's just it's a defense that looks a little bit different. No, I think that's a really good point. Let me give you a positive spin on this defensive conversation by saying this. I think it's really interesting that the one thing that seems true about Georgia in 2023 that was also true in 2022 on a consistent per play basis this is not really a dominant pass rush but magically they always seem to get to the quarterback in the games that matter most you know they needed that against South Carolina in the second half and they got after Rattler in a very big way I know O'Leary isn't exactly the most elusive of figures back there for Kentucky but once again they kind of lived in the backfield Jermon Dumas Johnson in a second and a half Kamari got through there oh uh, you know one time along with JDJ it's just kind of funny to me that when Georgia really needs pass rush it always seems to just sort of magically materialize and I think that's kind of a cool thing that has continued on in 2023 the way that it was very much present in 2022 as well right you know you, you think back to even that 2021 season i can remember us having talked about georgia needs to get to 40 sacks that season and, and now i think having a better understanding uh, of what georgia wants to do defensively along with the fact that we've just seen georgia that teams are going to play georgia this way they're not going to give them time to sit back there and try and throw the football you know they don't want to get the ball out quick and try to get to the perimeter and so that just naturally deflates your sack totals. But, you know, whether it be Tennessee last year, Kentucky this year, when you've got teams that are dropping back and trying to throw deep, uh, that just takes time. And, and Georgia is able to generate a pass rush in that sense uh, to get after the quarterback. Now, you know, maybe later on in the season when they start playing more dynamic quarterbacks, uh, you know, college football playoff, SEC championship game type atmospheres, we're going to learn a lot more about this pass rush. But for right now, I think in the doses that it's been allowed to to sort of flourish, you've seen what you've wanted to see from this group. All right, let me talk about the Georgia offense. Let me use Brock Bowers here as the, I guess, the sort of building block on all of this. I love the national conversation taking place around Bowers right now. Connor, I just think this is real, and I think it's picking up steam. I do truly believe there is a legitimate chance that Brock Bowers could win the Heisman Trophy I believe he's the best player in college football but there have been myriad times in my life when the best player in college football hasn't actually sniffed the award because that's just not how it typically goes but in this particular case it just seems like because of the absence of some obvious other name besides Bowers and because of the fact that Bowers is now getting the attention he deserves for the the career that he's had including this season playing at the highest level thus far during his Georgia career Connor I think this is real and I, I think that it could be building here over the course of the rest of this month and then obviously into November there as well this may actually be happening I believe yeah you know the number that I've had in my mind is you know can he have you know over the course of the season four games like he did uh, against Auburn and that's a tall ass I'm not saying you know 150 yards I'm not saying there's a specific benchmark but just from an impact standpoint from a big play standpoint, can he get to four, maybe even five? And obviously one of those I think is going to have to be the SEC championship game just because of the stakes and what that game means. He did it against Auburn. 
I would count Kentucky in that there as well. Can you see him do it against Tennessee? Can you maybe see a Florida or a Missouri there? Uh, he's, I believe, 13th in the country in receiving yards, and to do that as a tight end is just incredible. I know Nikar had some tweets this weekend about why would you throw to a tight end that yeah. much. Uh, Brock Bowers is a different. But to, to just insinuate that Brock Bowers is simply the best tight end in the country and to just leave the analysis there for him, uh, I actually think is insulting to how good of a football player Brock Bowers is. Uh, I, you know, I've made my opinion on Brock uh, very well known. I've written about him a bunch. I enjoy writing about him. I enjoy talking about him. Uh, you know, as you point out, the best player does not always get to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony, much less win it. But Brock Bowers has been the best offensive player on the best team in the country for the last two years, and is certainly the best player on the best team right now through week through week six. If Georgia's undefeated and they get to that SEC championship game, and Brock Bowers is still doing Brock Bowers things like he's done in the first half of the season, you know, he's certainly going to get an invite. And at a certain point, you know with how special he is, not dissimilar to what, like, Devontae Smith was doing, though obviously Devontae Smith put up much greater raw statistical totals uh, in 2020. Uh, it, there does start to become a way where maybe you do give this to Brock, especially if it seems like all these talented quarterbacks, Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, et cetera, whoever you want to name there, all sort of seem to cancel themselves out because they're all sort of doing the same thing statistically. I do think it should be noted that it just seems like Brock is playing and elevating at a different level than any sort of other receiver, maybe other than Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, in college football right now. So let's talk about what's around Brock on offense right now, too, because as Brock continues to thrive, that creates opportunities for other players there as well. And I, I guess I'll try to do this in kind of semi-rapid-fire fashion. You know, Carson Beck's emergence is truly a big deal because if you want to go back and talk to, about, like, national types who were – expressing their opinion before the season began there was a little bit of skepticism about a brand new starting quarterback for Georgia which is not completely unfair I mean we make a big deal about that kind of thing but it's a fair question to ask of hey new starting quarterback can you maintain the same level of offense well I think that Beck has answered that criticism through the first six games I think he's answered it very well Georgia fans have been complimentary of Beck now for a while but after the Kentucky game it's a little bit more apparent for everybody else too who knows how good he's eventually going to be but Beck has now crossed the line of good enough you know does he become Come great best quarterback in the country future whatever round pick we'll see but there is a line kind of a threshold of good enough in order for a team to achieve end of season goals and Beck in my mind has surpassed the good enough mark yeah I I think you know I don't know it was whether you know something has changed since that second half uh, against Auburn uh, and you know if he continues his ascent we're going to look back at, at, at that game as sort of the moment where things sort of started clicking. And I don't know if it's maybe Georgia deciding, hey, you know what, this guy's shown he can handle it. Let's put all our eggs in his basket and trust him to lead us to victory. Uh, he's done that these last two weeks with the exception of one throw, which he admitted. He was just like, yeah, I was super confident and thought I could just fit it in there, and I could um, in the third quarter there against Kentucky. Uh, he's been brilliant, uh, you know, and we talked so much about his athletic ability and what it was. He looked pretty capable scrambling for that first third down uh, on Saturday night against Kentucky. He takes a shot there, and then it's not surprising to me that he comes back on his next passing attempt and layers in a really nice pass to Marcus Rosemary Jackson for a touchdown there. Uh, He continues to get better, and he continues to look more and more comfortable, and I I think we'd all probably agree there was something to maybe the nerves that he had, and you saw that show up his first start, first SEC game, even the first road game. He's running out of firsts, yeah. and that should be a very terrifying prospect for opposing teams with what we've seen Carson do on a week-in, week-out basis at this point. The other thing we made a big deal about, and I know you wrote about this day at dognation.com, the fact that Kirby said what he said about Ra Ra Thomas, that he's the one guy that has the most potential to change our offense. And I feel like I understand why Kirby's saying what he says there, and I've, I know I've talked about this plenty. I like Ra Ra Thomas right now so much more than I was necessarily expecting to. Not that I thought I would dislike him, but I like his body style. I, you know, I like the size that he brings to the table. I like his athleticism. You know, sometimes I'm not quite so sure what to make of some of the wide receivers that have played in this sort of Mike Leach style system. But I believe that Ra Ra, as both a, a prospect, an actual you know productive player, I think he transcends a, a lot of that. It turns out that Ra Ra, I believe is a real find for Georgia here and that as you see this Georgia offense come into its sort of full potential perhaps in the next few weeks I think that Rob Rock could be in the midst of really introducing himself here right now fun to think about what Kirby said about him on Saturday and fun to think about where he might go next too 
Yeah, I'll I'll take the L here. Uh, I, I just you know even so far back as like three weeks ago, I, I just didn't see it with Ra Ra. I didn't think he was going to be a contributor for this team. Obviously, he had about as poor of a spring as you could have, and, and you know wasn't really didn't seem to be really making headway uh, during fall camp there. But he's gotten better each week. Had two big third down conversions against Auburn, and I think similar to what we've seen from Carson, that carries over in this Kentucky game. Makes a great catch there, five catches, 62 yards, drew a pass interference penalty as well there for Georgia. And really, I think the big reason why you hear Kirby talk about him in that manner is, yeah, he's just a straight-up one-on-one man beater. And so when you have that and you're able to tie that in, with a guy like a Marcus Rosemey-Jack Sane on the other side. It shouldn't be lost that while, yes, Georgia likes to do a lot of different things with their formations and whatnot, it's very interesting to me that the first two wide receivers Georgia put out there on Saturday against Kentucky were Ra Ra Thomas and Marcus Rosemey-Jack Sane. And when you have yeah. a guy like Brock with the speed and his ability to stretch the field in that way, it allows you to have sort of a guy in Thomas who can just be a guy that wins one-on-one routes like you saw in that touchdown grab there. And then a Marcus Rosemary Jack Sane, who I think, you know, the light has really come on for. He had a really strong game, uh, is Georgia's second leading receiver right now. And is a guy that, you know, thrives in that middle area of that field, that 15 to 20 yard range. And I think it's not a coincidence that that's also Carson Beck's best attribute. And so you see those three pieces sort of coming together. You start to wonder what happens when Ladd finally starts to get healthy there? What do we see from a deep threat like Arian Smith? The pieces are all sort of starting to come together now, and with the light going on for Rara like it has in the last two weeks there, I think that's why Kirby was so encouraged by what he saw and what he said about Thomas after the game on Saturday. All right, let me finish with this, and I don't want to put you on the spot here necessarily, but I want to look at Saturday's game against Vanderbilt just for a brief moment. I have to confess something, Connor. I love SEC football. I live and die with this league, and as somebody who tries to watch as much of it as I possibly can, I had no idea that I guess – A.J. Swan's been benched as the Vanderbilt quarterback. Now, he's been a little bit banged up, but it seems like this is kind of a coach's decision because uh, Swan played pretty badly for them a, a couple of weeks ago. Ken Seals is back as a Vandy you know, quarterback again. Like The one thing I know about Vanderbilt is this team this year is probably nowhere near as good as last year's Vandy team was. That team won three or four games in like the first month of the season, non-conference, won a couple times in conference play, including obviously famously beating Florida. This is not that caliber of Vanderbilt team here right now. They haven't really been competitive in the SEC yet. Got beat by UNLV in a uh, non-conference game uh, a few weeks ago. You know, Obviously, the opponent doesn't really matter for Georgia very much. It's more about the early start, what might be a little bit cooler weather, whatever else. But is there anything about Vanderbilt right now that stands out as notable in terms of what Georgia's about to play on Saturday? Because the quarterback thing completely uh, was off my radar. No. Uh, Vanderbilt hasn't scored a touchdown against Georgia since 2018. Uh, I believe since Kirby Smart became the program's head coach uh, in 2016, Vanderbilt has three non-garbage time touchdowns against Georgia. Uh, it, it is just this is an uncompetitive game. The stadium is under construction there, and I get Clark Lee has a long way to go there. Honestly, for me, the biggest thing this weekend is when Georgia gets up fifty to nothing or whatever the score may be. Uh, what do we see from guys that you know may not maybe helping the team right now, but in the future can? You know, I, I think the Vanderbilt game last year. The biggest thing I took away from that was how Carson Beck looked in those backup uh, sort of mop up duties. There, he looked really impressive, and I think that gave people a lot of encouragement into what Carson Beck has gone on to become so far this season for Georgia. I think you're going to see something similar on Saturday, and the question is, like, at what positions do you see it? Maybe is it a Raylan Wilson on the defensive side of the ball, Damon Wilson at the outside linebacker position, maybe, say, C.J. Smith at wide receiver and Andrew Paul at running back there, Monroe Freeling on the offensive line. When this game gets out of hand, like it will on Saturday, who are the guys that sort of come in and show some real promise there for Georgia I think that if you're a Georgia fan is what you're most looking forward to this Saturday so very short uh final answer then uh so you're not expecting the 11 a.m start to be an issue you think that Georgia kind of does what it did in 2021 what it has done against Vanderbilt in recent season which is not play around at all and just get right to the business of destruction yeah I mean I, with how this team has looked I wouldn't be surprised if there is a slow start uh you know Kentucky so far sort of proven to be the outlier there but over the course of four quarters I do not expect this to be uh much of a test for Georgia Connor great stuff thanks for being here today we'll look forward to reading plenty more from me there at uh, dognation.com and of course talking to you very soon as well right here on dog nation daily presented by esog yep as always it was a pleasure 
Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, kind of an interesting assessment of that situation there from Connor and a kind of a wide look at what Georgia's doing on both sides of the ball right now as it tries to make its case for being the best team in the country. Now, Smart has also said he's not worried about being the best now. He wants to be the best when it's all said and done, but obviously success leaves clues. And Georgia's dropping some hints, at least on Saturday it did, about how good it can be before it is all said and done. We'll get back to Georgia here in a moment, including Mark Stoops, the Kentucky coach, sort of making a pretty, I would say, uh, uh, odd reference to Georgia last night on his coach's show. We'll do that here coming up in a couple of minutes. Prior to that, though, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Boy, you talk about excitement that exists for all the big things that Royal Caribbean has going on in 2024. We've talked a lot about Icon of the Seas, but I want you to be aware of this also about another ship debuting in 2024 that's perhaps really important for you to keep in mind it's called utopia of the seas it'll be the latest the newest in the class of ships called the oasis class of ships which were the original class that kind of redefined the cruise experience by introducing the neighborhoods like the the central park and the boardwalk and all these you know suites only areas and all, all, all the things that have kind of made the oasis class ships famous well the newest oasis class ship utopia of the seas is going to sail out of Port Canaveral. And that means a lot to me because here in the Atlanta area where I live, Port Canaveral is the closest, most convenient port for me to get to. And oftentimes because my son's into baseball, my daughter loves gymnastics, you know, my wife's got a lot of things going on, I've got a lot of things going on too, you know, the football season's kind of a year-round uh, type thing. So in order to have, like, a lot of time for a cruise or to have the right t- time for a cruise, sometimes that means taking a three- or a four-night sailing. That's just the most convenient thing for us. Well, now Royal Caribbean is offering its largest class of ships, at least that's currently sailing the Oasis class, and its newest ship, Utopia of the Seas, for those three- and four-night sailings out of Port Canaveral. It's an amazing experience, and if you've never taken a cruise vacation, I really believe starting July of 2024, that could be the best chance for you to take your first cruise on a brand-new ship sailing conveniently out of Port Canaveral, for those of you here in the Atlanta area, could be a great experience. So Jessica Slater is a travel agent. She can tell you more about that. She is specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean for all of your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation needs. You can call her 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. Or email her jslater at dreamvacations.com. That's jslater at dreamvacations.com. She can tell you all about that. All right, I want to talk about one thing from last week before we move on to what I think are going to be some fascinating games here for this week. We didn't get get really a chance to talk about this yesterday. So the Missouri-LSU game was a ton of fun to watch. It was a noon start. Many of you were kind of enjoying some of that before you made your way over to Athens or perhaps you had your all-day tailgate going early and you had that game on while you're watching it. And If Missouri could have beaten LSU with what they have coming up the next couple of weeks, there is a chance that Georgia-Missouri game could have been very, very, very big for Saturday in November. Now, it still has a chance to be pretty big, uh, but it could have been very, very big had Missouri found a way to beat LSU, ultimately not able to do that. And the thing you credit for why that wasn't able to happen is what we talked about going into the game. We said that we thought that Jaden Daniels, in the midst of what has been a very disappointing season for LSU overall, Daniels has had a great year, and we thought that he would propel LSU to victory in this game. Ultimately, that was true. Now, we got saved on the cover, for those of you who care about the point spread, because of the pick six at the end. Kind of a devastating thing for those who had backed Missouri there because they'd led all day long and ultimately end up failing to cover the touchdown number. But as far as just sort of the basic narrative and the storyline of how the game was decided, it was Daniels going on the road and playing really well. Now, ultimately, while we got that right this week we've gotten Daniels wrong overall this season we thought he'd be a candidate to be replaced and LSU at its best we assume that Garrett Nussmeyer was going to need to be the quarterback either playing exclusively or the majority of the snaps because he is in our mind just such a better thrower than what Daniels is but Daniels been great through the air great on the ground he's a tremendously courageous player and he has not seemingly reduced his level of play or his level of focus at all even in the midst of what's kind of a a disappointing run for LSU they play terrible defense they don't seem to have a lot going on running game things like that but Daniels is outstanding so here's what you're left to wonder can he still make LSU a factor in the SEC West race because keep in mind while LSU has lost Ole Miss and Ole Miss has lost Alabama fact the matter is LSU still gets its crack at Alabama they have to go to Tuscaloosa to play that game it's got a chance to play Texas A&M as well so there are still big games left on the on the LSU schedule 
And is Daniels playing at a level right now that he gives a puncher's chance to LSU to win one of these games? And is there a chance that while it seems like right now Alabama has kind of righted its situation, they're not as good as we're used to them being, but they may be the class of the SEC West, certainly being the only unbeaten team on that half of the league, that side of the league right now, inside track towards being here in Atlanta, perhaps setting up a big classic showdown between the Tide and Georgia. Perhaps that's what, what's about to happen here. But maybe Alabama's not quite good enough to make it be easy. And maybe Daniels is at least good enough on a flawed LSU team to be a, a threat to Alabama or or something like that could still perhaps still occur, that we could still see chaos in the SEC West before this season's done. And I guess in a roundabout way, if there is enough chaos, that could also involve Ole Miss too, who you know found a way to win again on Saturday and they continue to kind of climb in the rankings despite the fact they were humbled pretty mightily in their one big showdown against Alabama a little earlier there this year. My assumption is that this is probably Alabama's to lose, and my assumption is Alabama won't give it away. But Alabama's not a perfect football team. Saban said it himself that uh, probably as mistake-filled a win as he's ever had in his coaching career this past Saturday at Texas A&M, perhaps that portends more struggles to come, at least against somebody at some point in time. Maybe Daniels is at least good enough to keep LSU in the race here, even though they really haven't played very well, but they have found a way to win some games. Uh, obviously they've got Auburn coming up on Saturday with that in mind let me sort of uh, shift gears here to what is going to happen here in week seven because I think this is fascinating there are a handful of games in the SEC where it's like put up or shut up and the loser of this game puts himself in a tough tough situation how about Texas A&M going to Tennessee Tennessee has bounced back from the Florida loss. I thought what they did against South Carolina was impressive. They get the week off, and now they get ready to chance to, uh, to host Texas A&M. And if, if Tennessee can win this, which is a big if, but if Tennessee can win this, they sort of feel like they're putting together a pretty good follow-up to what was kind of a breakthrough season for Josh Heupel a year ago. But if the Vols lose, then all of a sudden a lot of Tennessee fans are going to be pretty angry because they still got Alabama coming up. They still got Georgia coming up. And the idea of any kind of record commensurate with what you thought was sort of a first step towards great success a year ago, all of a sudden that doesn't go together well at all. On the flip side of that, Jimbo Fisher's getting heat right now. Uh, the, the bad decision to punt you know, in Alabama territory in the third quarter last week when the game was tied, giving the football back to Alabama. They take the go-ahead score, and they never look back there in that game. Jimbo Fisher needs a bounce back. And perhaps Tennessee is the kind of game where that could happen. The Vols fans, you're not going to be heavily involved. And if A&M loses, once again, a lot more heat coming on Jimbo Fisher, especially with the arrival of Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC next year. High stakes in that game. High stakes as well for Florida and South Carolina. And if you're a Georgia fan, you're watching this to see, is the cocktail party going to have any juice whatsoever? Is this game going to have any excitement, pizzazz to it whatsoever, as opposed to just another chance for Georgia to kind of kick Florida around? Well, what Florida does on the road at South Carolina, where they have been a slight underdog most of this week thus far, that kind of determines. Florida wins here, going into a bye week, then maybe there is a little bit of an idea that that they can rally around Napier and rally around you know the cause here for the game against Georgia. But if you lose to South Carolina with Georgia on the schedule coming up two weeks later, I don't know how you get any enthusiasm from the lousy, stinking Gator fan base going to that game. That's a very big game for Billy Napier at South Carolina on Saturday. And then for LSU, who has said before, you know, they're not great, but they found a way to kind of win on Saturday against Missouri. They uh, found a way to pull victory out of a game that seemed for a while they might lose. How about Auburn on Saturday? Long history of LSU beating Auburn at home. That streak has now been uh, erased, but once again, this is a place where LSU has been very comfortable, and we'll see if Hugh Freeze can kind of become a factor here. And when it's one of the SEC's kind of sneaky good rivalries, LSU and Auburn, we'll see what they have in store for us on Saturday. And I'll also mention quickly, Missouri-Kentucky, really, really fascinating game too. Missouri, if it wins, kind of 
sort of regains its status as perhaps a top 25 type team and Kentucky playing to sort of prove that it's not a total pretender, completely inflated paper tiger going into that game against Georgia. A lot of sort of put up or shut up, must win type scenarios where any degree of bragging right or any degree of quality of life for a lot of these coaches really depends on winning these kind of swing games, the likes of which the league provides us here this weekend. It's why we love it. SEC football, nothing like it. And this weekend, boy, a lot of good games on the uh, conference docket will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and before we get back to Georgia football and speaking of what uh, Kentucky coach Mark Stoops has said about the dogs here this week which kind of got the attention of a lot of UGA fans let me also remind you of our friends at Discover Dunwoody now you know we're talking about the SEC championship what it might end up being come December is a big showdown if it's 11 and 1 Alabama and 12 and 0 Georgia this is going to feel like as big an SEC championship we could possibly have perhaps the stakes a little higher this year with the idea that maybe you're only playing for one playoff bid not two it's the final year of a west winner and an east winner there's going to be a lot of energy around this year's SEC championship so if you're already kind of thinking about coming into Atlanta for that game or whatever your you know travel purposes might be that bring you here to Atlanta I want you to think about a great place to stay when you come to the Atlanta area if you want to be close and convenient to all the cool stuff of Atlanta, downtown, Buckhead, things like that. But you want to be just a little bit removed from the hustle and bustle? Our friends at Discover Dunwoody can give you a great option there on that because the Dunwoody area, which is like right here where you broadcast our show from each and every day, you're kind of nestled in between a couple of different MARTA stations. But you've also got great access to like more than 2,000 hotel rooms. That means there's some great prices and some great hotels. You've got a couple hundred different restaurants here. You want fine dining. You want fast casual. You want, you know, uh, quick service. You want something kind of in between all of that, kind of a cool farm to table type concept or something like that. All of those restaurant options available right here in the Dunwoody area, too. Or you want great shopping experience. There's more than 300 places to do some really nice shopping. Start getting an early uh, look ahead to the holiday buying season, all the great stuff that goes on there with that. Our friends at Discover Dunwoody give you access to all of that. So when your travels take you to Atlanta, you want to get from the airport to somewhere nice that's that's comfortable and and family friendly and safe and all that kind of stuff dunwoody may be the place for you on that so check uh out discover dunwoody.com slash dog nation for more that's discover dunwoody.com slash dog nation book a great hotel enjoy some great shopping and dining experiences and have a great time here in the atlanta area with discover dunwoody once again online discover dunwoody.com slash dog nation for more on that all right so let's get back to georgia football here for a moment because mark stoops the kentucky coach this week was talking about the game against georgia and the frustrations i guess it's a call-in show right some of these coaches still do this sort of old school call-in where fans get a chance to call in talk to the coach there aren't a ton of those left but there are still some and i i love it i miss the old school call-in show i think that's fun it's part of the reason why we do our post-game show the way we do it's kind of a throwback to the days of you know hey just call in here let it rip talk about what's on your mind here and so saban still does one i think that uh, shane beamer still does carolina calls uh and mark stoops apparently still does one there as well and so kentucky fan called in frustrated about the blowout loss to georgia what's it going to take coach to get us over the hump and mark stoops said something very interesting about georgia as he sort of pointed the finger of blame at kentucky fans and boosters for why the program's not better than it is this has kind of gone viral here over the course of the last 24 hours this is what mark stoops attributed the loss to georgia to on saturday here is stoops it is what it is and uh you know, fans have that right. I, I give it to them. It, you know, I just encourage them to donate more because that's what those teams are doing. And in, in, uh, in, uh, yeah, I could promise you in Georgia, they, they bought some pretty good players. You're allowed to these days. And uh, we could use some help. That's what they look like. You know what I mean? When you have 85 of them. So, so uh, I encourage uh, anybody that's disgruntled to, to pony up some more. So a lot of people are going to gravitate towards the thought that Mark Stoops says that Georgia's buying its players. That kind of has the feel of an accusation. Even in the NIL age, that sort of feels like a little accusatory, that somehow Georgia can only get good players by buying them. I actually don't care as much about that as the other aspect of what Stoops brings up. My overall feeling when it comes to Georgia NIL Georgia philosophically may approach NIL a little bit different than some other teams do in terms of who it chooses to give money to and kind of how much it chooses to use NIL as sort of a main attraction for a player coming to the program. That's probably true. But on the sort of general premise of NIL, 
I personally don't believe that Georgia's using NIL any less than any other team or frankly any more than any other team that kind of competes in the same weight class that Georgia does. NIL is a current factor in college football talent acquisition. You can't have a good team if you don't have access to it. And, um, you know, the teams that do have access to it have a chance to kind of get themselves into a conversation uh, with a sort of a different level of player. So we believe that that Georgia is very much a player in the NIL space. And obviously, Georgia offers a lot of lucrative opportunities for players who come here and players ought to consider Georgia for that very reason. So I don't think that Georgia should shy away from the idea that it's going to try to create some NIL opportunities for players, even if it doesn't like using that as sort of the main recruiting pitch that it gives to a player. There's also a strategic advantage to that, too, because at a certain point, if you're a Georgia and you're leading with these big financial offers, eventually you're just sort of negotiating against yourself because all you're doing is raising the price that the lesser program needs to meet in order to win or beat in order to win with that player. So part of the not leading with your NIL offer is not just about the kind of player you bring in, players who aren't swayed so much by that. It's also sort of a strategic negotiating tactic because you don't want to end up negotiating with yourself by naming the price that the other programs have to beat. So we don't shy away from the idea that, of course, Georgia's playing the NIL game, uh, you know, no different than anybody else's. That's why you got Classic City Collective and all the various fundraising arms that are helping to uh, give Georgia access to all of that. Of, of course, that's the case. And Georgia would be fool not to participate in the NIL space the same way that other programs possibly are. The thing that bothers me about Stoops here right now is we see some examples of this taking place. That when a team is not good, it's not the coach's fault. It's the booster's fault. You're not giving me enough money. And to the extent that this trend exists in college football right now, I find it to be grotesque. We see Lane Kiffin having done this a lot. Kiffin's always lamenting about the current state of college football. And what do you want me to do? I can't recruit good players because y'all won't buy them for me. Like that is a total, you know, attempt to ignore your own responsibility as a coach there. When Kiffin has done that, we've called it out. And when Mark Stoops does this right now, we're going to call that out too. Now, he may have a point when he says, hey, what do you want me to do? We're playing Georgia. There's obviously a, a truth to that of Kentucky at a pro, as a program is at a certain level. Georgia as a program is at a certain level. And it's there have been coaches for century plus trying to kind of close that gap. And it's probably just never going to happen. Stoops is right when he says that. But broadly speaking, when you kind of shrug off a loss, and in this case, a blowout loss by saying, hey, if you want better players, you got to buy them for me. That's putting a level of responsibility onto the boosters they don't deserve because let me tell you something. The hardest part of the NIL game, and nobody talks about this, there are a lot of like national websites that love the idea of covering recruits like they're celebrities and their NIL value this and the fancy NIL deals and Utah football players get the pickup trucks. And there's a certain glitz and glamour to NIL that certain media types love to cover. And I understand why they do it. It just sort of seems fun and exciting and sort of sexy. I, I, I get all of that. But the one part of the NIL game that no one seems to like to cover and therefore it goes undercovered is raising NIL dollars is really, really hard. Because the people who give the NIL money, whether it be super rich person or not super rich person who just loves their favorite team and wants to show some financial support to that, y'all, this is not like the old school day of being a booster and you got the big tax deduction because you gave the athletic association or you got access to better tickets or whatever else. You don't get that obvious quid pro quo, that obvious trade-off when you do the NIL thing. And the idea that people are digging deep in some cases and giving money they may need for something else, the NIL stuff, and Mark Stoops got his hand out and says, come on, that's not enough. I need more. You better be very careful about that kind of thing. And I'm not, not just Stoops of Kentucky, but every coach everywhere. You better be very careful about that because you run the risk of really turning off your best people. The people who are even willing to consider paying for NIL, giving you some NIL dollars. Those are your best people. Those are your most loyal supporters. You bite the hand that feeds you when it comes to those people at your own risk and at your own peril i think stoops words last night on this topic sound incredibly disconnected from reality and incredibly pompous and arrogant and totally uh is obfuscating obfuscating responsibility here in terms of uh 
what he ought to be doing as a coach. It is your job to get good players and train them up and go out there and win as many games as you possibly can. You may not beat Georgia, but you need to beat you know enough teams. And if you don't, it's not the booster's fault for not buying the players for you. It's going to be your fault because you're the one that's making millions of dollars. So if, if Kentucky doesn't have enough good players and it takes a lot more money to do that, then perhaps you ought to dig deep in your own wallet and perhaps you ought to be the one to buy some of those players because you're the one that's going to benefit most from them doing well. And like the whole NIL age has sort of existed in pretty favorable economic times, or at least the, the advent of NIL has existed in what were kind of pretty favorable economic times. This is not the kind of show we are, but you know, you can go a lot of places and see a lot of economic forecasts for the future. They're not quite as rosy as what the past has been. And so I think the future of just how exactly how much money can be raised by boosters for NIL because they love, you know, big state U, they love the alma mater. I don't know what the future that necessarily looks like. So coaches like Mark Stoops ought to be careful, and a dash of humility would certainly not hurt them. And with that, we'll wrap up the show. Now, we have a lot of golden shoes to give you here today, so I'm going to run through these. And a lot of these referencing what we enjoyed off the top of the program, the Braves win against the Phillies last night. So let's roll through a few of these here right now. Starting with Waylon Wilson on the different topic. We've been talking a lot about Brocktober and Brock Bowers. Wayland pointing out to us that at least one rider for 24-7 sports has got Bowers in his top four for the Heisman Trophy here right now, three quarterbacks ahead of him, including last year's winner, Caleb Wilson. Caleb Williams, I should say. So that gives you an idea that Brock Bowers very much part of the conversation as Brocktober continues. Bowers has a chance to assert himself in that discussion even more. Very good stuff. Wayland, we appreciate you sharing that golden shoe for you. Next golden shoe goes the way of Larry Bruce. Last night, I kind of jokingly uh, made... Uh, a thing about Larry Munson, the old line from the 1980 Georgia-Florida game. I gave up. You did too when the Braves were down. So Larry Bruce sent this great thing autographed by both Buck Ballou and Lindsey Scott. The text of what Munson said, the drawing up of the play design that allowed Lindsey to score. That's an incredible piece of memorabilia. A great thing. Uh, we'll give Larry a golden shoe for his sharing of that. Really fun thing to see. Larry having a good time with both Georgia football and the Braves, which makes him near and dear to us. Next golden shoe going the way of Kevin Brown. Once again, with the idea of the Larry Munson tie-in, uh, when Michael Harris makes the catch, Kevin says, we stepped on their face, the hobnail boot, we broke their nose. Yeah, the Harris catch, smart play by Austin Riley to back up the uh, throw back to second and then uh, throw Bryce Harper out at first base. You'll certainly love to see a guy like that getting doubled off. Kevin Brown having some fun with that. We'll give him a golden shoe there for that. Keeping the fun go- going, how about Kathy Weinhart? It looks like uh, they were at the uh, Braves game there last night. She gives you a go, Braves. Celebrate and having a good time. Boy, I would have given anything to be in Truist Park for that experience. I'm glad that Kathy and her family had a good time there on that. We will give them golden shoes there for that. Another Braves-themed golden shoe here coming the way of Eric Carr, who points out that entering last night, the Braves were just 1-48. in in playoff history when trailing by four or more runs but last night down 4-0 found a way to win the game they're now 1-0 entering the uh, sixth inning in a situation like that good stuff from Eric Carr will give him a golden shoe for that I believe we have one more is that right Uh, once again this coming from Waylon Wilson Uh, (laughs) we're talking about Mark Stoops a minute ago he says Mark Stoops is tired of ordering players off of wish he wants fans to donate so he can buy some name brand players very funny stuff from Boylan. We'll give him a golden shoe for that there as well. By the way, speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, which we mentioned earlier, that cocktail party starting to get closer just 18 days away. You love that. It's our Gator Hater Countdown. We'll see you tomorrow back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.